The Old Testament reading is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. It can be found on page 9 of the Pew Bibles, the Tower of Babel. Now the whole, world, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have all one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad all over the face of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. I want to read for you now the, the story of Pentecost as we find it uh, in the book of Acts. And uh, I'll get back to this in a moment, but uh, I think the, the, the two stories we're going to hear today, the one from Genesis chapter 11 and this story, are very closely uh, tied together. Uh, but first, let's, let's listen to the story of Pentecost as we find it in the second chapter. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, I, I wonder if you would permit me a, a personal word before we dig into our text. I've 
I, I do want to spend some time with you thinking about that Tower of Babel story this morning, but first, uh, as Sam mentioned during the announcements last week, I, I went to the U.S. Uh, for a few days to join my family in celebrating my mother's uh, 90th birthday. Uh, 90th birthdays, as you know, do not come along very often, and the temptation, I guess, is to take uh, long life and, and good health for granted, uh, but as Psalm 90 reminds us the, the days of our life are 70 years and, and 80 if we're strong. Uh, so when a 90th birthday comes along, it's important uh, to set aside time and to fly 7,000 kilometers and, and, and to say thank you to God for the gift of life, which is what my family did a, a week and a half or so ago. And as I told several of you, my mother was in rare form the night of the uh, birthday dinner uh, she drove her own car to the hotel where uh, we had the party, because why not? Uh, <laughs> I mean, if, it would have been inconvenient for one of us to uh, come and collect her. And then uh, she made a speech uh, during the meal in which she told us uh, how proud she was of each one of us, uh, children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. And of course, uh, as the son who became the pastor, uh, it was my privilege that night to lead my family in a prayer of thanksgiving for my mom's life. So uh, you are looking at one uh, grateful person today. It is good to be back with you. Uh, I suppose that the best transition from a story like that to uh, the sermon uh, today is to say that there's another anniversary or another milestone that we are celebrating today. And uh, as a matter of fact, we are joining with the worldwide church family today to celebrate Pentecost, the day that God poured out the Holy Spirit on his church. So nearly 2,000 years ago, or 2,000 years later, here we are, still living in the glow of what happened that day, still animated by that same Spirit, still living our lives as the Spirit of God gives them meaning and purpose and direction, it's a remarkable thing, don't you think? Right? Uh, never mind 90th birthdays. Right? Uh, what about a movement that had its start in, in Jerusalem nearly two millennia ago and still changes lives? Right? Uh, still uh, brings lives to life and, and still has the power to turn entire communities and cities and, and maybe even countries upside down. Uh, Pentecost isn't as widely known or, or celebrated as Christmas and Easter. Uh, according to my village newspaper, uh, not many people even know what Pentecost is, even though there's a holiday uh, associated with it and a day off from school. Uh, but in some ways, uh, Pentecost belongs right there on the same level as Easter and Christmas. What we celebrate today uh, is enormously important, and I want to spend a few minutes uh, with you today thinking about what all of this means. And uh, what I want to do is to understand Pentecost by reflecting on that Old Testament reading, uh, which Paulo uh, read for us, the, the one about the Tower of Babel from Genesis chapter 11. In fact, uh, I mean, as long as we're going back, it, it, it might be uh, wise to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, to the first page 
of the Bible, where we are told that God blessed them, the the first humans. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing on the earth. So this was God's will for us. Namely, that we would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. And maybe it's important to say this weekend that we would be good stewards of the earth that we have been given. Now, I I don't know if you've ever reflected on this. It would be interesting to do that uh, once in a while. But God's command to the first man and first woman was not a difficult one, was it? I mean, God said, I bless you, so live your lives. You know, expand, grow, and enjoy this beautiful earth. It is my gift to you. How difficult was that? Uh, but, and I think you know how this goes, God's intention for humanity did not last long. Very quickly it was undermined, and uh, it's important to see, we'll come back to this, it's important to see that it was undermined by pride. Hubris. Uh, The serpent who tempted Eve in the garden told her that she could be like God, which uh, sounded pretty good to her, knowing good and and evil, and if only she would eat from the tree, which she was told not to eat from. So that first sin, the, the, the original sin, was pride, hubris. And it is that same sin that we uh, hear about in this story about the Tower of Babel. I, I don't know how many of you know this story. It, it's told in Sunday school classes, of course, but after that, it doesn't get much attention. And yet, a great deal happens here, a great deal that I think we should know. According to Genesis chapter 11, the whole earth had one language and the same words. Well, that seems odd to me because in the previous chapter, uh, some of you will remember this, chapter 10, the story tells us that after the flood, uh, Noah's family spread over the whole earth and had many languages. I'll I'll just quote uh, from it. These are the descendants of Japheth uh, in their lands, with their own languages, by their families, and in their nations. So it seems odd when chapter 11 begins with this statement about one language for everybody. Uh, The American pastor John Piper uh, has reflected on on these verses and and what he says about this, and I think he's right, is is that the storyteller is not confused. At first glance, it may appear that way, but if you're telling a story, you put the important information out there first. Right? Namely, that, Moses, that Noah's uh, descendants scattered over the whole earth. Uh, and then you fill in and you uh, tell people I- exactly uh, how that happened. Uh, so why did people finally disperse? Oh, wh- which is what God wanted them to do. Because uh, as chapter uh, 11 explains, God had to push them out. Right? God had to make it happen. Uh, Chapter 11 tells us about this curious situation where people were coming together and and concentrating in one place and not going out and and not filling the earth. And then, as if to emphasize this clumping together and and this hunkering down, we're told that the whole earth had one language. Uh, No one knows exactly uh, where this place was, though some scholars and archaeologists have a, a pretty good idea and in 610 B.C., 
uh, a tower was built in Babylon, or what, was, uh, what would become Babylon, and uh, it doesn't exist anymore today because Alexander the Great thought it was important to, to knock it down. Uh, but according to estimates, this tower uh, w- was 91 meters tall, or about 300 feet, and I mean, not very tall by current standards, right? But remarkable for the time. Maybe you've seen the famous painting by uh, Peter, uh, the Dutch artist Peter Bruegel, the, the elder, who tried to imagine uh, what this tower looked like, a kind of a, a spiral of, of mud and bricks, In any case, uh, with only mud and clay to work with, they quickly reached their engineering limit on on height. Uh, Those were not the right materials to go much uh, higher. Uh, But the motive for building, according to the story, was to make a name for themselves. This was about pride. Uh, This would be a tower, they thought, that would reach the heavens and would reflect well on them. And, and, and their ingenuity and their greatness, they were making a name for themselves. Uh, the sin of pride was uh, serious, uh, but it wasn't the only sin uh, at, at work in, in these people. And I don't think I'd ever seen this before. Uh, it was uh, not until I did some reading last week that this story began to make some sense to me, finally. Uh, in addition to pride... Uh, or wanting to make a name for themselves, uh, there was also apparently a great deal of fear. And I wonder if you see that. Uh, what else explains this reluctance to scatter? Why were they concentrating in one place when God had clearly told them to go and to fill the earth? In the ancient Near East, there were uh, many flood stories. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. All the ancient Near Eastern uh, religions, including the Israelite religion, uh, seem to have a, a, a story about a great flood. And always after the flood, I think this is interesting, the people who survived would gather in one place. Right? And, and the reason they did that, of course, was fear. Uh, leaving home uh, requires courage. Uh, giving uh, or going out into the world can be scary. Better to stay where you know people and better to stay where you know the language and, and, and the customs and the traditions. Leaving home for lots of people uh, is a terrible thing to contemplate. And as I typed those words last week, uh, it occurred to me that this congregation has mostly conquered that fear. I mean, you heard it during the, the children's uh, lesson today. Most of us are here because we left home. And we ventured out in, in, into the world and, and beyond the safety right, that, that we knew as home. So in case you think this story is not for you, uh, stay with me. I think that God has a word for us uh, in this chapter. Uh, this fear of the unknown is widespread. Uh, this reluctance to hear uh, God's command in our lives to, uh, to leave the uncomfortable and the familiar and to go as... As the story of Abraham puts it, to go to a land that I will show you, this reluctance is widespread. Right? It's not in our nature. I don't know what you think about this, but it is not in our nature to walk away when staying home and hunkering down would be so much easier. So what was the sin of the, the, the people who built this tower? Well, it was pride, of course, no doubt about that, but it was more than that. Right? It was also fear. And so God decided to do something about that, and God came down, something that God has done more than once in human history. 
And, and I can't resist pointing out to you a bit of humor in this story. We sometimes think that because it's the Bible, it can't be humorous. Right? But what we find here is funny. Right? And it is intended to be funny. John Piper, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, calls this holy scorn. God is not impressed uh, with what the people are doing. And so after the tower is built, uh, we're told that God came down to inspect this thing that they had built. I mean, that's the funny part. This, this tower, which was supposed to reach the heavens, wasn't very big at all. At least not from God's perspective. When you're in an airplane at, at, at 36,000 feet or 11,000 meters, everything on the ground looks pretty small and, and, and insignificant. And that's what the biblical writer wants us to understand here. God had to come down to take a look. Right? The, the tower was not all that impressive to the one who created the sun and the moon and the stars and who put the planets in their orbits. And so at this point, God does something that we usually think of as punishment. Right? We're, we're, we're told that God confused their languages, and I suppose that there is an element of judgment here. Right? God doesn't have much use for their pride and, and their hubris. But there's something more happening here, too. These people were refusing the creation mandate. And, and so God's punishment... Right, was to encourage them and enable them and to enable them to comply uh, with his command. Here's an illustration of this, and uh, it's a bad one. Uh, one, of my, uh, one of the items on my bucket list, this may surprise you, is to make a parachute jump someday, to jump out of an airplane. And uh, someday it will happen, I'm, I'm sure. But here's the thing, I will never be able to jump out of an airplane on my own. Who does that? I will be hanging onto the door frame of that airplane, not wanting to leave. Right? So people who do it the first time go with an instructor. And, and uh, you, what you do is you hold on to the instructor, crush the person to death. You, you, you hold on to the instructor, and, and then he jumps out of the airplane. Right? And he remembers to pull the ripcord. Right? And, and he knows uh, how to land when uh, you reach the earth. So if I ever make a, a parachute jump, this is the point, I'm going to need a push. I'm going to have to be dragged to the door of that airplane. <laughs> I think that these people in our story for today needed a push to jump out of the airplane, and God gave them the push that they needed. Right? That's what this story means to tell us. So to the Pentecost story, in Acts chapter 2, we find the disciples. What are they doing? They're gathered together in one place. Right? About 120 of them in a house. And it sounds as though they are hunkered down and they are clumped together and they're not going very far at all except maybe to run out and buy groceries. On Easter morning, their instruction, remember, was to go. The angel said, go to Galilee and Jesus will meet you there. In, in Matthew's gospel, before Jesus leaves the disciples and, and ascends into heaven, he tells them to go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, right? teaching them everything that I have commanded you. But, but here they are, not going anywhere. 
So what's holding them back? Well, it's fear. The, the story never explicitly tells us that, but what else could it be? They have a terrible case of inertia. Right? They're stuck and they're paralyzed and they can't bring themselves to leave. And, and then all of that changes. I mean, almost in an instant, all of that changes through the miracle of Pentecost. Right? The outpouring of God's Spirit on this group of people. This is not the spirit of gentleness, by the way, that we sang about at, at the uh, beginning of, of worship. The, the comforter uh, that uh, Jesus describes in John's Gospel, uh, the spirit has those characteristics, of course. But the spirit that is described in this story is a disruptive spirit. Do you see that? This is the spirit who pushes us to do what we, what we want to do, maybe, but what we couldn't do without the push. The Spirit pushes us out of our comfort zones and into the world. Uh, of course, uh, God doesn't give them uh, one language. That would have been too easy. Instead, God gave them many languages, multiple languages, real languages, by the way, uh, actual languages that people could understand, uh, not a spiritual language, as uh, some people have suggested. The people on the street could understand what these disciples were saying. And again, the, the purpose was to get them moving, to get them talking, to push them into the world with a wonderful story to tell. I think you really can't understand Pentecost. I'll just say it plainly for you. You can't understand Pentecost without knowing this other story from, from the book of Genesis. From the beginning, God's command has been to go. And our inclination is to stay home and be safe. Right? And, and God has always had another idea for us. So God said to the first humans, and, and God says this to us as well, go, get moving. Uh, are you still here? Uh, there's a world out there, and uh, it, it's a world in need. Go and teach them everything that I have tried my best to teach you. A couple of months ago in my sermon, this was during my series on, on basic Christian uh, teaching, uh, we took an in-depth look at the Holy Spirit, and I, I said something about the problem of the church today, and uh, what I said was that Christians today like to gather in their beautiful buildings and uh, have lovely worship together, uh, but in many parts of the world, including where I am from, the, the, the United States, uh, the, the numbers are dwindling, and uh, those who still gather are becoming uh, older and older. Uh, I looked it up yesterday, most of the members in the denomination that I'm a, a part of, most of the members are 55 and older, and, and that is not an encouraging sign. And while church members continue to grow older and older, and while their uh, numbers continue to, to dwindle, they can't figure out why they're not growing. <laughs> I mean, they keep their buildings clean and, and uh, well-maintained, and, and they're so proud of what they have built. Uh, but where are the young families? You know, where are the millennials? Uh, an entire generation, at least in the West, an entire generation has uh, walked away from the church. Uh, well, uh, you know, there's not a big leap here. Maybe the Spirit's call to us on Pentecost 2017 is to go. 
to go where the young families are and to go where the millennials are. And if they're not coming to us, maybe we should be going to them. Look, uh, instead of applying the scripture to the church today, which may seem impersonal, it may not affect you uh, directly, maybe I should be applying this to you as individuals. I'm going to step on toes. Let me ask you something. Where in your life are you stuck? Where in your life are you frozen and, and uh, unable to move? And I mean, I wonder where, where in your life you have become afraid to move out and instead have become content to hunker down and to stay where you are and to make a name for yourself. You know, maybe uh, this story is actually aimed in your direction. Maybe God is speaking to you today, this Pentecost Sunday, and, and maybe God is saying, you know, it's time for you to get moving. I will pour out my spirit on you. I will give you the language to speak and any other gifts that you need. But you need to go. And you need to scatter and you need to fill the earth. The tower that you have built for yourself and, 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 and that you are so proud of and that you are maintaining so beautifully, it's not as tall as you think it is. Right? I'm not impressed with your building. I know because I got down to take a look. Go therefore, Jesus said. Make disciples of all nations. Fill the earth. Announce the good news. There has never been a hungrier time in our world than right now. Will you pray with me? Let us pray. Gracious God, on this anniversary Sunday, we celebrate the outpouring of your Holy Spirit on on timid and fearful disciples. And we admit, and and, and we admit this reluctantly, that after nearly 2,000 years... We are still timid and still fearful, still afraid to go very far, always wanting the safety of the familiar. Send us out, we pray, with the boldness of Peter. Send us out with a message of good news to a hurting world. Come, Holy Spirit, come.